verse number one, and now we'll read the succeeding odd numbered verses through verse number 11. Would you please begin reading with me in verse number two, along with the succeeding even numbered verses through verse number 12. And as always, in respect to the reading of the word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Judges chapter 13, verses one through 12, and reading responsively. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him, neither. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. The angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? May God have his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, take this somewhat famous passage of Scripture and speak to our hearts this morning as we consider Manoah, his wife, and their son, anointed of you, Samuel, Samson. And we'll thank you for it, Lord. Speak to every heart we ask. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm not going to go through the names of everyone, so I'll just say thank you, everyone that had something to do with the service. I want to cut to the chase and uh, keep my words to a bare minimum on my introduction this morning here. Judges chapter 13. Judges 13 through 16 are the chronicle of the 12th judge of Israel, known as Samson, familiar to most everyone in this room, I'm guessing. The strongest man in the world, uh, anointed by God. Four times it said that he was, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him more than, three times more than any other judge that we read about in the previous chapters, of course. Chapter 13 deals with Mrs. 
Mrs. Manoa and Manoa, Manoa, his wife is not named, and so we'll call her Mrs. Manoa. Chapter 14, actually chapter 14, 15, and 16 deal with the life and chronicles of Samson, of course, the great judge. He's in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. Our time will only permit us to, we won't even hardly be able to touch on chapter 15 or 16. We have just time to surface glance at chapters 13 and 14. That's where the body of our message comes from this morning. This is our sixth message on me and my real family. And every family in the Bible was a real family, a sinning family, like your family and my family. But with God's help, God is able to take a broken and, and blended families and be able to bless them and use them uh, above uh, anything that you and I can even comprehend. But I want you to notice our two text verses. It's Judges 13, verses 8 and verse number 12, the last half of both of those verses. But notice verse number 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God, which thou did send, come again unto us and teach us, notice the next phrase, and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. The entire chapter deals with this calling this coming of this angel of God, this man of God that came to Manoah and Mrs. Manoah that were evidently older in age and were barrenless or childless. God's going to give them a child like he gave Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, like he gave Abraham and Sarah. He's going to give them a child evidently in their old age, their first son. Verse number 12, again, Manoah says, and it came to pass, verse number 12, middle of the verse, how shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? These were parents that wanted to see God use their son. They were instructed, the fact of the, fact of the matter is that God was going to use their son. And so I want to deal with this, the strongest weak man in the world, this Samson, strongest man that ever lived, and yet incredibly weak and could have been so much stronger had he not succumbed to his own perversions. And we'll have time to just touch on a few of those this morning. But he was a, I summarize Samson in this phraseology, not just as a strong, weak man, but as the no-heart child. As no-heart child. Now, there's a lot of people I'd like to preach to this morning, but they're not here to hear it anyhow. There's a lot of children and I don't mean to be harsh, and I don't want to hurt a parent or a grandparent or even a great-grandparent here. A lot of children just from within this body that should be in the house of God this morning, but they're nowhere to be found. They're not here, nor are they in any other house of God. They need to hear this, but they won't hear it because they're just like Samson. They're no-heart children. But I want to deal with two phases of this message. Chapter 13 deals with rule book parents, and then chapter 14 will deal with a no-heart child. So let's begin this morning, and Manoah, I want you to know, and his wife were definitely well-intentioned. I call them rule book parents. I have a number of books in my office on child rearing. I haven't read all of them. I have probably a dozen, 15, 18 books maybe on my shelves, and I've read a couple, three or four of them. And I became a parent at 27 years of age, and I kind of thrust into this. One day I was just a husband, and the next thing you know, I became a father for the last 33 years. And uh, the rule book was written, but uh, there's a lot of other rule books out there. One uh, book that I was reading said that there's, uh, 
We went to a bookstore and found 430 books on the subject of raising children. How many books have you, don't, don't answer the question, please. How many books on raising children have you read? Maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, maybe none outside the Bible. But rule book parents, there's a lot of them. There's millions of them out, outside of, uh, around America and around the world, no doubt. Many believe highly principled parenting by formula is possible. Find the right set of rules and follow it to the letter and the presto bango, the formula will produce the, that successful child. Just plug in the rules and everything else will work out fine. Well, I would submit to you that Manoah and Mrs. Manoah were rule book parents. And yet, not everything went fine with Samson, as we're going to find out. But let's look at just, we only have two points this morning. Let's hurry along. I want you to notice rule book parents setting down all the rules. And we see the rules delineated in chapter 13 of this book of Judges here. Manoah and his wife were, first of all, look at verse 1 to begin with this morning here. Chapter 13, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Notice that they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. It reminds me of America. America is doing evil again in the sight of the Lord for the record. We're a nation that's forgot our God. We were a nation that we said when God we trust, but we don't trust in God anymore. We don't even want God in our, our culture any longer. We're kicked God out of our country, out of our government, out of our schools. And this was what happened here in Israel. And the Lord delivered them, and that's what will happen to America if we don't wake up and to return to God. The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. Maybe it won't be the Philistines. Maybe it'll be the fill in the blank, the Chinese or whoever, the Russians, whoever you want to pick. Or I think we will probably implode from within. The, our greatest enemy is, is, uh, is uh, within our nation. It's our own, it's our own uh, character, flawed character that we have as a country and as a people. But it says in verse number two, and there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites. Now, just a quick insertion, and I'll give you point number one about whom Manoah and Mrs. Manoah were. The Danites were the most northern tribe. We looked at them a couple, three weeks ago when we looked at Jacob's dirty dozen. They were one of the first tribes to fall. They fell into great apostasy. You can read in the last two chapters of, of Judges, the great apostasy. And, the, and uh, just being blunt here, let me just tell you what they fell into, among other things, homosexuality, among other things. It's right in the Bible. Read it for yourself. I didn't make it up, make it up, or make it up, or put it there. And uh, God almost wiped them out as a people. They're from this tribe, this most northern, this most outskirt tribe, and from this very evil generation, this evil nation that should have been a God's nation, the children of Israel. They did evil, but even in the midst of a wicked nation and wicked people, God has His remnant, and evidently. We know, first of all, the first thing that we know about Manoah and his wife is that they were sincere, godly parents. There's no doubt that they were godly. The Lord called them and he, came, he met with them in verse number two. And, uh, and we don't have time to read the entire story, but twice the angel comes to the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes. We believe that angel of the Lord probably was a pre-incarnate theophany, or what we call a New Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Manoah says later on that he saw God and he didn't know if he could live. And uh, of course, uh, Christ, they, they, were, they were sincere godly parents to begin with. Rule book parents are sincere, they're godly. How many are sincere? No hands, please raise your hand. I'm talking to parents, first of all, this morning and grandparents. You were sincere in your efforts and your desires to be godly as you raise your children. But they were not only sincere, they were, they were, serious. They were seriously committed to this parenting Verse number four, 
The angel said in verse 3 that you're going to conceive, evidently in your old age, Mrs. Manoah. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, I adjure thee, I'm telling you, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you. Drink not wine nor strong drink and eat not any unclean thing. I want you to be, I mean, from the day that you're, that now you've heard this announcement, I'm going to, your womb's going to be impregnated. You're going to have, a, in nine months, you're going to have a child. I don't want you to drink strong drink. How many millions of babies are, I think they call it, I'm no doctor or nurse, so I think the term is fetal alcohol syndrome. How many babies are born with a drug addiction because mama did drugs during her pregnancy or did drink alcohol? And the, this, this serious family, the angel of the Lord said to him, I want you to abstain from all this evil and any unclean thing. Then I want you to notice verse number six, that the woman came, pardon me, then the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God. Several times in this passage of scripture, in fact, a half a dozen times, we see the phrase, a man of God. You know, we're living in a day today when people don't recognize men of God any longer. When they don't recognize prophets of the Lord, they don't recognize God's, God's men. But they recognize a man of God when the Bible says, and a man of God came unto me, his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. That word angelos in the, the New Testament is the, the word for, it's the word messenger. Very terrible, very awesome. And I asked his name, but he wouldn't, I'm paraphrasing, he wouldn't tell me. But I want you to know these people, these, this sincere Mrs. Manoah and Mr. Manoah, they were scriptural, reverential parents. We have such a awe, reverential mindset in most of our churches around America today, and I'm afraid sometimes it can keep you into our own church. I'm not, listen, I, listen I, I, I've wrestled with this many years. I've used it many times. And some of you know what I'm going to say. I don't like wearing suits. There, you like it? I don't want to wear this silly suit of mine and this silly tie. It chokes me. But I still wear it because I'm representing the king. And that's what we do here in America. If I was in another country, I wouldn't be wearing one. But God didn't put me in another country. But there ought to be a reverence to the things of God. There ought to be a reverence to the house of God. You know, just let me just run a rabbit trail. Just popped in my head. You know, we're not Catholic, but you know what? We could probably learn a few things from Catholics from time to time. You know that they got more respect for the things of the house of God than, than us, saved by grace Baptists, do many times. Now I'm meddling. Now you don't like me, but I'll just tell you the truth. I'm not. I I I deny the doctrine of. Uh, much with Catholicism is an abomination, of course I do, but I'm telling you there's some things that they have a reverence for and an understanding of that we could take a page from their, their script. These were scriptural parents. He said, he, the man of God came to me. Verse number eight, for time's sake. Notice that these parents were submissive or obedient parents. In verse eight it says, then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, oh my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send Come again unto us and teach us what we shall do. They, they didn't have all the answers. They asked the question. They said, let them come. We're begging you. Let them, we'll, we'll submit to teach us what we shall do unto this child and shall, that shall be born. They were submissive, obedient parents. They didn't have all the answers. They needed to come and hear what thus saith the Lord. Then I want you to notice verses 8, and the first part of the verse, and verse 9, the first part of that verse. 
Notice they were supplicating parents, or that word supplication means they were praying parents. Moses entreated the Lord. He prayed, he beseeched the Lord, he begged the Lord. And verse number nine, and the Lord hearkened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came unto him, came unto the woman, and the discourse begins. They were supplicating parents. And so these parents, these rule book parents, they were sincere, godly, they were serious, they were committed, they were scriptural, they were reverential, they were submissive, they were obedient, and they were supplicating parents, they were praying parents. And why, after all? Why would they do all this? Here's the reason why. They knew they had a special son from the Lord. You know, our children are a gift of God. I just got an emotional thought. I'm over it here. Just to, to a second, just popped in my head. I have to leave it. Uh, I'm thinking of somebody that just came to my mind with a special needs child. You know, some people throw those people away. We can do that now. It's called abortion on demand, full term. You got a child that doesn't missing a chromosome? Ah, just take care of it. Solve the problem. That's the America that we live in. About 70 million since 1973. Just throw them out. But I know many parents have realized that their son or daughter is a special child. Every child should be special. Children are in heritage of the Lord. In verse number 12, it says this. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, of all that I... Let me try that again. I'm getting there. I got my new glasses. What can I tell you? They're bifocals. I'm having a hard time. Okay, the truth's out. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child, and how shall we do unto him? They realized that this child was from the Lord. He was special. And several things here, and we'll do this rapid fire. Number one, they realized he was special because he was separately distinct. The cross-reference passage to this that tells us in detail about the Nazarite vow that this Samson would live under, was supposed to live under all the days of his life. It says in verse number two of number six, let me just read it to you. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. He was a separated person. The Bible says, come now, uh, come ye apart and be separate. This is a called out assembly, by the way. This is a church. I don't expect unsaved people to come in here and enjoy our, our, our time together or even understand what's going on. Now, by the Spirit of God, they can understand. But a called out assembly in Ecclesia, a church, is for God's people that have been separated from this world. God gives us this, this place of this haven of rest. And then Samson was being done like all the other regular boys of, of Israel and girls for that matter. He was to be separated by a Nazarite vow. He was set apart. He was separately distinct. But secondly, he was special because he was never to touch strong drink. In verses 3 and 4, and I'm paraphrasing of Numbers chapter 6, that he should not teach, touch anything, drink anything from the fruit of the, uh, from the, fruit of the vine. Not even, not even grapes, moist or dried even. 
Nothing from the fruit of the vine. I want to encourage you maybe put a bookmark in Judges 13. Turn quickly to Proverbs 23. I'd like you to see these verses here. How long will thou, starting in verse number 29 of Proverbs 23. Who hath woe, verse 29 says. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Hey, you know what? I got to thinking about this. I'd rather think, I think we'd be better off if we took the boost crowd that's in bed having hangovers from Saturday night from 3, 4, 2, 3, 5 o'clock in the morning. Millions of them, I don't know how many drunks we have, and that's what the Bible calls drunkenness. We call them alcoholics. We, got a, you know, we have a label for everything. A psychological disorder or just a disease, we call it. What, 30 million? I don't know what the number is. But I know it's affected my family, and I know it's affected your family. And by the way, for the record, if that doesn't irk you a little bit, it affects your wallet far more than you know it affects your wallet. We pay for them. We pay for their debauchery and their messed up life. Yes, we do. You say, preacher, that's harsh. That's the truth. We pay a lot because people go down that wicked road. But here, here this psalm, or this proverb here, and let me not get... I'm borderline getting in the flesh. I get so mad at thinking about this. Verse 37, for time's sake. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. The drunkard's 23rd Psalm. Demon alcohol is my shepherd. I shall always want. He maketh me to... I'll get it. Lie down in gutters. He leadeth me... He, he leadeth my desire, or he leadeth me, pardon me. I'm going to get this out if it kills me here. He leadeth me beside troubled waters. He destroyeth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of... <laughs> that might help. Let's try that. Hey, look at that. I just need a big one, Glenn. I got a magnifying glass. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm almost done here. Let me get it done here. He leadeth me in paths of wickedness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of poverty and suffering delirium, suffer delirium tremens, I will cling to drink, for thou art with me. Thy bite and thy sting, they torment me. Thou preparest an empty table before me in the presence of my family. Thou anointest my head with troubles. My cup of misery runneth over. Surely destruction and degradation shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the lost forever. The plague of the drunkard, the plague of the alcoholic. Back to Judges 13. Samson was a special son because he was separately distinct. He was Never to touch strong drink, but he violated that greatly. Thirdly, he was to look strikingly different. In a Nazarite vow, a razor was not to ever form his head, I, and um, he was to look different, distinct, different. I once in a while meet somebody, uh, meet a Christian guy with long hair, and he said, I got a Nazarite vow on me. I've heard, I heard that you said, you know, I like long hair because uh, 
I'm a Nazarite. Well, I got news for you. We're in the New Testament, and the New Testament tells us that if you believe in covenant or dispensational theology, that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Women should have long hair. Men should have short hair. And I know that's not popular today, but the Bible still tells us that. Read it for yourself, 1 Corinthians 11. Don't call me Old Testament because that's New Testament for the record. But he was to be different. He had a vow upon him. He was to be strikingly different. Christians were to be strikingly different. And fourthly, time's sake here. He was strictly forbidden to touch anything dead that have died of itself, whether it be human or whether it be beast, or because he was in the service of the Lord. And a number of verses that could be used, Numbers 6, 6, and Numbers 19, 11, for time's sake, we won't go there. But all of these things, this, these parents, these rule book parents inculcated in their child, son, you're never to, never, you're to be separately distinct. You're not never drink strong drink. You're to you're be strikingly different. You're to be in the service of the Lord, not to touch any dead thing. He violated every one of those. Quickly, and let me finish up point number one, and we'll move on to point two. But these were parents, letter F on our worksheet. These were parents with standards. I have four points. Let me just read them to you for time's sake. They're not on your worksheet. These parents had standards. And that's a good thing. Standards is a dirty word. But thank God for standards. Standards are good when they're, when they're, they're proper and they're right. But standards, four things about standards. They help us know who we are. I asked an 815 crowd, I will not ask here because get, we'll get embarrassed. I asked how many people knew, know who Ben Shapiro is. Don't raise your hand because only a handful of hands are raised. You should know who he is. He's a conservative commentator. And he's always distinct because he comes on television and I see him, he's on most nights and he's got that, he's got a show now. He's got a yarmulke he wears. By the fact that he wears that yarmulke, you know his ethnicity. You know he's Jewish. He wears that unapologetically, unashamedly. From the time he was a little boy, his mom and dad inculcated that fact, fact in his mind that who he was. And he's reminded of that. And he still wears that silly, pardon me, I'm just being blunt, I'm just being Marty Shaw, I'm just being Gentile. I think it looks silly. But I have a respect for it because I know, I know that identifies who he is. And he's not ashamed of who he is. And standards help us know who we are. And secondly, standards help us have more time for ourselves, not less. We can say no with confidence. I just want to pick on this just for a moment here. I didn't buy it. Now, don't you dare raise your hand and shame on you. I could be funny here, but shame on you if you were so pathetic. Can I just be blunt? If you were so stupid. I hope there was nobody stupid enough to buy one of those lottery tickets for a billion dollars. You got a better chance of becoming the Pope than you do by getting that million, billion dollars. That's the truth. I heard yesterday, I said, I thought about buying one yesterday myself, or on Friday, I guess. But they said the chances are more likely that you become an NBA superstar. And I looked at myself, I said, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> then buy the lottery ticket, I said, I'm not going to be a fool. Uh, you know, so when I walk into the you know, convenience store, I don't have to say to myself, let's see, am I going to buy a lottery ticket or am I not going to buy a lottery ticket? Let's see, how much money can I spend on this? Uh, and how much money can I waste? How many, I don't ever have to worry about that. It never, because I have standards in my life. Standards help you say no. 
I don't get tempted. You could put Jack Daniels right, in the, right, right here on the pulpit all day long, put it by my bedside all day long. It wouldn't affect me at all. Why? Because I have a standard. No. I'm starting to preach here. We've got to teach here. Let me go back to teaching. Number three, real quickly here. Standards help our children to develop a sense of security. Boundaries are good. These people that don't want boundaries, these no boundary people, they're crazy. They're liars is what they are. They're hypocrites. Oh, just no boundaries. Let everybody in. Okay, you go home tonight. You unlock your house. You open your door. You get your, get your security. Take your security out. You just let anybody who wants to come into your house tomorrow morning when you wake up. I hope you have a handful, of, a whole host of fam, people in your house and you take care of them. You say, that's mean, pastor. No, that's, that's the sanctity of having boundaries. Boundaries are a good thing. Then standards give boundaries. Standards forcefully help us become a lifelong, or lifeline to those who are adrift. They're not here this morning, so I'll use them. But I get visited throughout the week, and by the way, and they're not here, so I'm just going to bash them. Don't ask me who. But they come around when they need something from Harvest Baptist or from Marty Schott. Why don't you come to church on Sunday? Why don't you come get some real help so you learn to help yourself? But your life is too important. Pardon me, I'm starting to preach. Your life is too important to have time to come out to submit yourself to the things of God. Listen to the man of God preach the word of God. No, no, you're above that. And I'm preaching to the air right now because you're not above that and you know it. Well, so we see in chapter 13, if time permitted, we could spend another hour, I'm sure several more hours, but let's go to chapter 14. I want you to notice part two. Rule book parents setting down all the rules, but chapter 14, verses five through nine are the specific verses. Really, it's chapter 14, 15, and 16, but time does not permit. Let me just give you a, just an overview. No hard children scoffing at all the rules. Here is Samson. He was blessed more than any other man that has ever lived on the face of the earth. He was the strongest man four times, it says, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Four times. That's three more times than any other prophet, any other, any other judge of Israel. He's in the Hall of Fame. This, pardon me, this, oh, I'll just say this perverted child. Did we find his name in the Hall of Fame? I'm getting ahead of the story. But he was perverted in several ways. First of all, consider the pathway of scoffing children, or in this case, scoffing Samson. In chapter 14, he goes, and I have to do this very quickly. He, at the beginning of the chapter, he goes and he desires the wife of the Philistine. So that was a no-no right off, the, right, off the, right off the bat. For any Israelite, let alone a Nazarite Israelite. And he wanted a, a, Nazar, or rather a Philistine wife. Bible tells us be not unequally yoked. Notice the pathway of the scoffing children. Notice verses five and seven. You'll see in both those verses, you'll see the word, then went Samson down. The pathway of scoffing children is always downward. Some of your children have gone downward the moment they left your sanctity of your, your, your standards and the sanctity of your rule books. And they said, no, I'm going to do it my way. We just heard a message a couple of three weeks back on the prodigal son. You've heard messages on Jonah. He went down to Tarshish, down to the ship, down to the, the belly of the whale, 
I always want to say the belly of the whale, but anyhow, the belly of the whale. You know the story. It's always downward. Every step you take away from God is a step downward. The rebel does that. Then we notice verse number eight, just a soundbite. In chapter 14, it says, and after a time he returned to take her and he turned aside. Notice that phrase. He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Well, he, first he saw, then he touched. He wasn't supposed to do that. The lion was an unclean animal. It was a dead animal. He wasn't to touch an unclean animal or a dead animal. He turned aside to see, and then he partook of the honey and the, the, the belly of the lion. Some of you know the story. But it's a deviation. You see, scoffing children always deviate. By the way, we have a smorgasbord Christianity today. That's what's wrong with many of our churches today. It's a potpourri. It's a take, take what you want, leave what you, take what you want, and leave what you don't want. It's uh, I'll come if I want to. I'll come if I, if I don't want to. I'm under grace. I'll do what I want to do. I'll pick and choose what part of God I want to believe. I'll pick and choose what part of God and what kind of part of his word I want to reverence and, and listen to. If I don't like it, tough. I'm getting ahead of myself. The disres- there was a deviation. Then number three, it was, it's a disrespect. Uh, path, the pathway of scoffing children, it's disrespect to their parents. Verses six and nine, and there's a phrase in both of the latter part of the verse six and verse nine. We're notice where verse says, six says, last phrase, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Again, verse number nine, but he told them not. He lied to him. He did disrespect it. He violated the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. He tricked him. He coerced him into going down to Timnath and to get him a Philistine bride against their wishes, against their desire. It wasn't meant to be, but they went anyhow. They, for one reason or another, they loved their son, and they said, okay, son, if you're going to do this, we're going to, they had to go down for the, the blessing to make this transaction happen, but they get divorced anyhow. Then he goes after a harlot, and I'm getting ahead of myself again. There's disrespect to parents. You know, we got kids. They're not, they're not here to hear it anyhow, so I'll just tell you how it really works. They, they know it. You know, you get to about 16, 17, 15, 18. It's different for, and many a kid, they get it all figured out by that age. They're smarter than any parent that ever, ever lived. They're smarter than any old fogey preacher. They're smarter than any Baptist church or any other church, church for that matter. They got it all figured out and they don't need mom and dad. And they, they leave the house and they said, well, I'll fix you. I'll show you. And they go and do their own thing. And they, we used to call it shacking up. Now it's just, it's, so for many years, it's just, just living together. It just works that way. Why get married? I don't get called, by the way, I don't get called anymore to marry people. I don't get called to bury people. Nobody dies anymore. Nobody's having funerals. Nobody wants to have a preacher stand over their grave and pronounce their eulogy. Forget that. Nobody wants that stuff any longer. We, we don't need God in our life. We don't need God in our death. That's, that's uh, no hard children. Disregard for parents, uh, uh, pardon me, a disrespect to parents. Number four, did I give it to you? A disregard for their... His, for their precepts. And I'm, I know I'm hurrying here, but not doing justice, I suppose, to the text. I should slow down, I suppose. But he was not to partake of uh, this ungodly woman that he, he, he went in unto, of course. He wasn't supposed to do that, but he didn't care. A disregard towards the precepts of God. And then, then we find, fifthly, that no hard children, the pathway of scoffing leads to it's a dangerous lifestyle. He goes in and he takes to that lion. He takes that honey from that lion. 
oh, the lion didn't chew him up then. The lion was dead, right? But he messes around with lions. Peter found out. Jesus is the word, saying, if desire to sift you as wheat. And Peter found out, and Peter said, uh, in 1 Peter 5, 8, the, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Lions want to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy you. And you're not stronger than Satan. It's dangerous business. Forget about playing with fire. You're playing with Satan. You're playing with, uh, with the devil himself when you're playing with the lion. Then I want you to notice, letter B, real quickly, the pleasures of scoffing children, verses 7 and 9. And let me just summarize this, not placed on your worksheet. We need two sheets today, two pages. But a couple things here about lions, or rather about the pleasure of scoffing uh, no-heart children. What you find pleasure in says much about your character. Now, I happen to know, you know, I've cocked off a little bit here this morning here, and that was on purpose. But I happen to know that most of you are here. I won't say all of you, but I'd like to think all of you. But most of you are here because you, you want to be here. You actually like this. The psalmist said, Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O God. For my laws within my heart, we were visiting Peggy Geisley yesterday. Peggy would love to be here. She said, Pastor, coming to church is the highlight of my week. It's the, I feel so bad when I miss church. Pray for Peggy. We saw our senior saints yesterday. None of them are here this morning, of course. There are several of our senior saints. They can't get out. But they love to come to the house of God. But the scoffing child loves the pleasures of sin more than the pleasures of righteousness. They love the pleasures in, pleasures in unrighteousness, 2, Timothy, 2 Thessalonians 2.12, if you want a verse. What do you get your thrills out of? I watch a little bit. I, you know, I, I, get, I, get a, I do have a problem. I have several problems, actually, more than I want to tell you about one of my problems is when it comes to fall, I'm not into NFL, but I'm into college football. So I got an amen out of that. Thank you. So Michigan played Michigan State yesterday. 105,000 people come to the big house. I mean, it's like war. I mean, you the people who know what I'm talking about, I mean, they, they get into this big time. They love it. I don't know what the, well, I was thinking about it. It says 105,000 people in church. I wonder if there's 105,000 people in Baptist churches in Michigan throughout, uh, today, this morning in the house of God. Loving, loving the house of God as much as they loved that football game yesterday. Whew. Tell me what you love and I'll tell you where your heart is. Moses, or rather Samson loved women. He loved his wine. He loved his honey. In fact, it leads me to the second point. See, Samson had a Philistine honey and he had bee honey. Samson was in trouble with honeys. I don't mean to be, uh, chapter, just read it for yourself, most of you know it. Remember Delilah? Before we get to Delilah, we got a harlot. And probably a number of harlots in between. Everybody wanted to be with a man. You know what I'm saying? Pardon the slang. And he loved to be with the honeys. And it led him to his blindness and to his binding and to where his shame. And it leads me to letter C. Let me give it to you quickly here. The polluting of, of scoffing children. It's found in verse number nine. But let me just tell you, 
I have two points underneath this. The goal of the polluting, scoffing child and the guile of the polluting, scoffing child. You see, his goal, he took that forbidden honey, that unclean honey from the carcass of a dead lion, and he gave to his parents, but he didn't tell them where he got it from. They weren't supposed to dig that either. He just defiled and deceived them. The goal of perverted and scoffing children is to pervert others. There's the guile. And he lied. His Bible says he told them not. He lied to them. He lied to his own mother and father. And he did that multiple times. The polluting, scoffing child. Well, let me get to the takeaways this morning. Parent takeaways. What do we learn from Judges 13 and 14, among other things? First of all, rule book parents, get this down, rule book parents are far superior. Yes, I emphasize on purpose. Far superior to no rule parents. What is it? You're proud that you let your child just do anything they want to? And you think that's good? You think they're going to turn out all right? Very quickly, how many of you planted a garden this year? A small or large garden? How many have gardens? Come on, help me out. You planted your tomato. Okay. So I know what you did. You put your tomato plant in the ground in March or April or May, whenever you put it in the ground. And you put it in the ground and then you walked away for five months and you came back and presto, bango, there was your tomato plant or your potato plant or whatever you have and just flourishing, blossoming, right? No way. You say there's tons of work. Brother Jim knows more than anybody. He's got a great gardener, of course. There's tons of work, hundreds of hours of work of cultivating and weeding and taking care of that and watering when it gets dry. We didn't get dry this summer, but anyhow. We try to get rid of And you do all of that because why? You care about that seed. And we just throw our kids to the wind and expect them to come out Okay. Who are we kidding? What are we, what's the matter with us? If I were slang, I'd say, do we need to have our head examined? Rule book parents have, are, are superior to no rule parents. I, the Bible says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit, so I can see this broken down without walls. You're defenseless. I was at the Citadel on Tuesday, I went with the, the Phipps. It's the first time they've ever been there. They have two West Point graduate sons-in-laws. West Point's impressive. It's my fourth or fifth time I've been there now. It's, can I say it this way? It's really impressive. Fortress, West Point. And only the finest of the finest. And it was nice to see that long gray line. See those young, you, know, you got to be somebody to get into West Point. Yeah, you got to have connections, that's true, but you got to, you got to, you got to, I didn't realize there's a 10 to 15% dropout rate of boot camp. They have a few weeks before freshman year of, before the police would come in, West Point cadets, where they, they go through training and 10 to 15% drop out. They don't realize how hard it is. West Point has some rules. I got a book in my office, I got a, it's called the West Point Guide to Leadership. And I saw the structure, and we stood at General Norman Schwarzkopf's grave right there by the old chapel. We read it. I don't think he's a Christian. Hopefully he's in heaven. Hopefully I'm wrong. I don't know, but I didn't give evidence that he was a child of God. Maybe he was. Maybe he is. I don't know. Was. I don't know. But, but we saw, we stood at Adi Custer's grave. 
We were at the graves of uh, the uh, Warner sisters that, that wrote, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, led hundreds of cadets to the Lord during the Civil War era. The house right across West Point. We saw these people with, with, uh, with rules. But here's the dig. Some of those West Point, as greatest and valorous as they are, many of those West Point, great Medal of Honor. We saw the Medal of Honor wall. Oh, like 80 West Point cadets that have been awarded the Medal of Honor. But if they didn't know Jesus as their Savior, they're in a crisis of eternity in a place called hell. They followed the rule book, but not the right one. And just make sure you follow the right rule book, the right book. Subpoint number two for parent takeaways. Rule book parents must also work at being heart-to-heart parents. It's one thing to have the system of do's and don'ts. And there comes a point in time where, because I said so, we preached it a few weeks ago, it doesn't work anymore. We need to give the whys. We need to say, this is why, son. This is why, daughter. This is why we don't want you to do this. There's a point in time where they need to know these things. It leads to a path of destruction. Then child takeaways real quickly. Number one, remember all would-be Samson's. Sow the wind, reap the whirlwind. Hosea 8, 7. For you have sown the wind and you shall reap the whirlwind. In Judges 16, 20, I'm out of time. Let me just read you the verses. When Samson awoke, you know the story with Delilah. He lied to her three times and on the fourth he... He told her the truth, and his hair was cut, and he rose up when the Philistines came in. You know the story. The Bible says he shook himself, and get this, he wist not that the Lord was not, that the Lord had left him, that the Lord was not with him. He didn't realize it. We got millions of, I think, kids who grew up in Christian homes in America. There's millions of them today. They're at home. They're not in church anywhere around the country, anywhere, not this church or any other church for that matter. And they don't even have a clue. They've been so calloused. They wish not that the Lord was no longer with them. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you're saved, you're saved. You got the Spirit of God and you don't understand in dispensational teaching or eternal security teaching. But the Spirit of God, the power of God had left him. And even after being bound, and then he, he was... The moment that he wist not, the Lord was with him. And that's, that's when he was bound. That's when he had, became the strength like any other man. Anything we are, we are by the grace of God. Anything we have, we have by his permission. And God says, all right, Samson, you've been wanting to do it your way all your life. It's your way now. Hands off. It's a terrible thing. It was an awesome thing when God takes his hand off. He was bound. He was blinded. Eyes poked out. And he grounded the wheel. You know the story. But I want you to know that God can still, amazing, God can still intercede and bless even into the bound, even when that person has been bound, that person has been blinded. 
Here's the question. Hang with me. I'm, I know I'm over time here. Give me 90 more seconds. What would have Samson have conquered? You see, the story's been written for 3,000 years now. What would the story have read like had Samson followed the rules, the God-ordained rules for his life? I've been to D.L. Moody's place up in Northfield, Massachusetts many times. I've been to Chicago. I've been to a place in Maine. Moody's got his footprint across America, all over America. D.L. Moody, that uneducated second-grade shoe salesman, he said, the world is yet to see what one man totally yielded to the Spirit of God can accomplish. We'll never know what God could have done with Samson or God would have done with Samson had he followed the rules and not despised his parents. We'll never know. Parent, if you're a rule book parent, number one, God bless you. Make sure you get the right rule book. Make sure you're following the Bible. We're all going to make mistakes, every one of us. But by God's grace, if we'll put in, by God's grace, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, maybe I'm speaking to a rebel child this morning. Maybe that child is 40 or 50 or 60 years old. Maybe they still are blessed enough to have a parent. Lord, I pray that you might bless. Father, may we be in the healing business with our families. Father, may we speak a good word. May we build up. May we encourage. May we forgive. May we not hold bitterness, unforgiveness. May we not lie and do debauchery and, Lord, be deceptive and, Lord, be a no-hearted child. Just don't care. God, Lord, I pray. All I can do is pray a prayer blessing, Lord. I know it has little effect, Lord, this prayer. But I pray for all of our wayward children, Lord, within this, even the, this room this morning here, Lord, those that are not here, and Lord, and have no intention of being here, and Lord, they're not even thinking of church or thinking of their parents or their grandparents. They don't care. So my prayer means little because their heart is so hardened. It breaks our heart. Lord, help us to know that by your grace you can still do wondrous things. Lord, we thank you that at the very end, when Samson came to himself, like the prodigal, he prayed again. And Lord, you heard the first time. And he slew more Philistines in the day of his death than all of his life because you gave him a, just a bit of your power once again. Oh, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Pray you blessed our moments of invitation. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand together, take our hymn book and turn to page number.